Hey everyone, this is James from Film to Film bringing you another episode of the Lao Car Long Project. And today is the final review I am going to be doing um, kind of in the main part of our series. I think I will do a couple bonus episodes just at the very tail end of this. Um, but today going to be talking about one of my personal absolute favorites, the 8 Diagram Pole Fighter. Uh, came out in 1984, but largely uh, filmed and recorded in 1983. So real quickly, going to talk a bit, uh, well, first of all, you can reach out to us at zafilmtofilm at gmail.com, as well as tweet at us at zafilmtofilm. So real quickly, here is a synopsis before I talk about why you should watch this um, amazing film. A heroic family is double-crossed and massacred. Two of the remaining family members are forced into taking revenge. Um, so yeah, this is a uh, Chinese folklore tale. Um, I think, uh, you know, as is the case with a lot of these historical tales, there are debates of, are these real figures? Are these not? What is correct or not? And it happens uh, a very long time ago. In fact, this happens, uh, I think, in kind of the era of 900, 1000 AD. So this is really um, kind of an unusual period for Lao Kar Long to focus on. Every other film that we've talked about from Lao Kar Long is in the Qing Dynasty. That being said, uh, you don't necessarily need to know this Chinese history to uh, or the folklore to really appreciate this film. I do think it will add a little bit of richness and context to just what we're seeing here, particularly in the opening scene, which is very theatrical and very stage-like. This same material, uh, the generals of the Yang family, has been covered um, from a couple different angles as uh, in other films. So, for instance, The 14 Amazons, which is another Shaw Brothers film, I think that one's either early 70s or late 60s, focuses on some of the women survivors of the Yang clan and how they um, basically uh, kind of took the mantle and fought in battles and things like that. The Legendary Amazons from 2011, the Frankie Chan-directed film, uh, kind of takes a very similar angle. Um, I haven't compared those two films, but uh, it also focuses on... On the women of um, of uh, that survived from the Yang family, but here is why I think you should watch this film. An L eight diagram pole fighter is an LG to the Shaw Brothers martial arts era, featuring a jaw dropping finale. While this is not technically the very final uh, Shaw Brothers film, or nor is it the final Lao Kar Lung film that he does for Shaw Brothers, it feels very much like. Um, in LG or to uh, kind of the era and it feel, has a very different tone than I think you'll find in just about every other Lao Kar Lung film. There's a mourning, there's a sense of loss here. Um, it has a much darker feel to it um, that is different than even kind of the darkness that you'll get out of uh, a Chong Chur film. Uh, film as well, although this definitely does share a little bit more DNA with his films than perhaps some of the other films that uh, Lao Kar Lung does. Okay, so this is Song Dynasty again. This is an unusual era for Lao Kar Lung. He really, uh, every other film we've talked about uh, and most of his films are set during the Qing Dynasty, which is kind of his go-to there. A lot of that has to do with him tracing his martial arts lineage back. Um, so we're talking Manchurians and stuff like that there. This is a different di dynasty uh, in Chinese history. So we have the Liao dynasty, who are kind of the Katans, the uh, invading warriors here, uh, kind of encroaching on the Song dynasty. And the Yang family is basically a bunch of loyalists. Um, I think you can definitely get pretty deep into um, kind of the Chinese history part of this. Um, but, you know, for the sake of simplicity, we're not going to focus too much on all of that. I think this film is perfectly enjoyable as a um, straightforward revenge film, if you, even if you don't have that context. 
So I saw this film first when I was diving through the Lau Card Long films for the first time in 2009-2010 range. Um, it immediately was one of my favorites. I immediately connected to this film, even without knowing um, much of the context or anything like that. Like I wouldn't have been able to even tell you that this film took place, for instance, before um, even Marshall Club or, or something along those lines. Um, but that being said, uh, learning all this stuff, and, uh, it does kind of add to the richness and helps me appreciate the uh, film even more. I think a lot of the value of Shaw Brothers and the films that they brought, and I have watched a lot of their films, is they're very consistent. Even the their um, more middle-of-the-road efforts, they are often hitting singles or doubles. They're just very, very solid, good films. Um, I do feel like they don't tend to like really swing for the fences in the way that like in auteur would, like Stanley Kubrick or something like that. That being said, I feel like this film... Uh, with this kind of combination of folklore and some of the backstory behind it um, feels way more ambitious, even though it's not especially long in terms of runtime than a lot of the other films that were coming out at this period. And in my opinion, this film is a grand slam if we're going to continue with the baseball analogy. I think it aims really high and it really hits it. I think some of the choreography is the best ever. Project A actually won the best choreography this year. And, you know, it's very hard to argue against Project A. Project A has some wonderful bits. Uh, personally, I would probably pick this one, but, you know, I think that's a matter of personal uh, style. And Police Story, amazingly, even though it doesn't feel like it at all, was released one year after this. So it's just kind of an embarrassment of action film riches that Hong Kong was producing at this time. Um, so really kind of the handoff from this older era, which Eight Diagram Pole Fighter represents, to this newer era with people like Jackie Chan and Sammo Hung figuring more prominently, and Lau Kern Long, uh, whose directorial career didn't end by any means here, um, but was slowly fading away, and uh, his relevance is definitely um, kind of overshadowed by uh, other players uh, as, as we'd move later into the 80s and into the 90s too. Um, so yeah, like uh, so even though something like Marshall Club is technically longer than this film, uh, there's an intimate feel to that one, whereas this one feels uh, folklorish and big. Um, and the stakes also feel appropriately high. People are dying in this film. We have talked about a couple Lau Kar Lung films, and death is really not a huge focus in the majority of them. In this film, that's not the case. And that, in that sense... Uh, even starting from the very, very opening, it feels like we are closer to junk germ mode. I'll talk a little bit more about that, how that somewhat lines up, but also somewhat doesn't. I think they do take very different approaches, specifically to kind of that middle section where Gordon Liu goes to the uh, Buddhist monastery there. Uh, Lao Kern Lung also, interestingly, did get a writing credit for this, which is not common for him uh, at the time. He got one for this, and I believe the Disciples of the 36th Chamber, which came after. So it's something, uh, it's a story that he definitely wanted to tell, too. Um, another way that this film really stands out is there's a lot of weapon focus. His Hungar style uh, tends to be more hand-to-hand -hand and focus a lot more on that. Uh, not that he wouldn't be afraid to go into weapon territory. Uh, I mean, he made a weapon. Uh, he made a film called Legendary Weapons of China. Just that um, he he his uh, kind of bread and butter was that Hungar style. So in that sense, it's also very different. He also liked to do a lot of like comedy sprinkles throughout the film, where it's not necessarily comedies, but there's a lot of comedic material mixed in that really helps to lighten uh, the mood and keep things kind of light on its feet. In this case, I think there's almost no 
intentional comedy or really no comedy to be found in this film whatsoever, which I think does kind of make this film weigh a bit more. Uh, it just feels a little bit heavier. Um, the tone just is very, very different than something you're getting from like Marshall Club or Disciples of the 36 Chamber, for instance. Um, so yeah, let's get into a little bit of the opening. Um, and one thing that really struck me, uh, even just from the get-go here, is just the emotional weight of everything. And for me, I could really feel that mourning, that sense of loss, and I don't know how much of it is like, uh, I don't know, it's hard to say how much is uh, the background of this film, which um, for those of you that no don't know, the second lead of this film, Alexander Fushung, died in the middle of recording this uh, in a car accident. So that's the reason why Kara Hui uh, takes over uh, kind of for the final fight. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, but it, I don't know how much of it is kind of that sense or the fact that the actors are bringing more or just kind of the story that Lau Kar Long wanted to say there. Uh, or kind of just the idea that the Shaw Brothers studio is dying uh, as this is happening and it's sort of the law, the end of an era. I think it probably very likely is kind of a combination of all of those different factors there. But uh, I do find it very moving as we kind of, the camera just pans over all of the different Yang family members. There are seven brothers as well as the uh, dad, the general, they're all generals. Um, and so it kind of introduces them all. Um, but if you are familiar with the Chinese folklore, or if you've seen this film before, you know that uh, the dad, as well as five of the seven brothers, are going to die. There's a prophecy that the sisters, the two sisters and the mom, are looking at uh, that seems to indicate that one uh, will uh, one will die, but they realize at some point that they've been misreading that, and that uh, indeed almost all of the family members are betrayed by this guy, Pan Mei and uh, killed. So again, this is something that the Chinese audiences are going to be familiar with. And um, I, I do find it to be somewhat helpful um, in terms of uh, uh, kind of understanding what, why it goes a certain direction in that opening scene. But uh, for instance, uh, well, the seven brothers that we are introduced to are all kind of Lao Kar Long favorites. Xiao Ho, we got Wang Yue, we got Lao Kar Wing, we got Robert Mack, these guys were all in Lao Kar Long films uh, from uh, just a few years before. So these guys are regular cast members. It would not be surprising at all if any of those guys would play one of the big two or three leads. Uh, we also have Chung Chin Pong, who plays the seventh brother, who also happens to be uh, the brother of Alexander Fusheng. So we have all of these different guys, and then we get to see basically all of them get killed off with the exception of... Xiao Ho, who gets captured and never seen from again, so essentially killed off, uh, Alexander Fusheng, and Gordon Liu, uh, who wanders off. Uh, so those latter two end up wandering off, one going home and one going to the Buddhist monastery there. Um, but I do find it um, particularly moving just seeing all of these different kind of regular Lao Kar Long members being killed off, and uh, it, it really does feel a bit like an end of an era there. In fact, even two of those people were in the car accident that ended up killing Fusheng. I Both survived. Uh, one was his brother, Chen Chen Pong, and the other one is Wang Yue, who plays the first brother. So first brother, seventh brother, and sixth brother. Um, yeah, so a lot can be said about this opening, uh, and I think a lot of it has to do with the source material here. 
we're working from kind of this very theatrical setting. Uh, I think most of Lau Kar Long's films, he does like to open up on kind of the soundstage openings. Who can forget the kind of red screen montage that we start with Executioners from Shaolin or just many of his films starting with kind of these martial arts demonstrations that are very clearly kind of on this stage. It's not trying to be anything but that. And I think this one kind of fits very neatly into that. It's a little bit different than normal. In fact, we are covering some narrative, but in Execution of Shaolin, we're basically doing the same thing here too. But it does have a very different feel than the other uh, set pieces that we have in this film, particularly uh, some of the later fights. Um, like you can, the sound and stuff feels like it's echoing in, and it does feel very much like um, the set and the stage. But again, this is based off of this folklore uh, that I believe, uh, to my understanding at least, was very popular to bring to the stage. So it is, um, you know, kind of uh, tied in with that. And I think understanding that context might make it seem a little bit less silly. We also have these very, very dramatic deaths. One of the brothers is trampled to death. The dad, uh, one of the brothers is riddled with arrows, and another, and then dad ends up uh, getting riddled with arrows and then jumps super high up with a bunch of wires and pounces his head on the uh on this giant stone so extremely theatrical dramatic deaths i think many of them taken from the uh original source material too uh so that's one of the reasons why we're we're kind of in this territory and it's very very different uh to uh just about how any of the other lao karlong films at the time were opening i think early on in his career the influence of Zhongzhou loomed a little bit heavy, more heavily, and so Executioners from Shaolin, or even the 36th Chamber of Shaolin, those op those like first 20 minutes or so feel very familiar um, in the sense of like a lot of characters are getting killed and things like that. But we really, he ha really hadn't been in this territory for too many films, um, certainly in the 80s. Uh, the last film he had done before this is The Lady is the Boss, which is a much lighter fare uh, featuring uh, Kara Hui. So I think Understanding that um, does help me at least appreciate it a little more too. Uh, when I was originally watching these films, you're watching a lot of, uh, I'm watching a lot of Shaw Brothers films, period, not just Lao Kar Long films. And so the violence and kind of the, the uh, just characters being killed off and things like that, it can blend together a, a bit if you, uh, especially if you're watching a lot of Zhang Tur films, where just about every one of his films has uh, like a 90% uh, fatality rate, where almost everyone is getting killed uh, in his film. And this film fits a little bit more neatly into that. But knowing it's a Lao Kar Lung film, um, it, it really does stand out quite a bit compared to just about everything else he's doing there. So again, an incredible cast that he has just in that first scene, even though almost all of those guys are, are getting killed uh, in the beginning. Not to... Uh, well, it's fine because Lao Karn Long has a lot of other favorites, including himself. Uh, so the next fight scene we do get is Lao Karn Long, uh, you know, heating up that gas stove and letting himself cook a little bit, where he plays um, a character that basically sacrifices himself to allow the Gordon Liu character to escape again. So again, it's something that I find to be, uh, you know, interesting and fairly moving, just these different characters sacrificing themselves at different points uh, so that this Gordon Liu character uh, can move forward. So he fights very heroically. I always love watching Lao Kar Lung fight. Uh, usually his appearance in, in film, he's not going to be in uh, too much of the film. Of course, there are some exceptions to that, but he's, uh, you know, <laughs> it seems like uh, an absolute vanity project to allow 
your, the uh, 50-year-old director to just step in and fight all of these much younger uh, athletes and fighters and stuff like that. But Lau Kar Lung is a master. He knows what he's doing, and he is great uh, in, in, in this role. He's only in it for about five minutes, but it's a very memorable five minutes, too. A lot of the other supporting characters, too, that we're introduced to after the intro uh, after the seven brothers are introduced are also really great. We get Kara Hui as one of the sisters who plays prominently into uh, especially the last 25, 30 minutes of the film. Lily Lee, uh, who is probably like early 30s at this point, is playing the uh, grandma figure uh, or the mother figure who has white hair and stuff. She's always fantastic, too. We get to see her kind of lay the smack down a couple times uh, because what ends up happening is Fusheng's character comes back and uh, Gordon Liu's character goes to the monastery. Fusheng uh, is basically, has basically gone mad uh, from the trauma there. And so Lily Lee's character ends up kind of corralling him and sort of guiding him. I think the idea was going to eventually be that he would take Kara Hui's place in that monastery fight and he would be reuniting with Gordon Liu to take revenge on Pan Mei and uh, the other uh, the other villains uh, from the Liao dynasty. Um, yeah, so the whole film is melodramatic in a way that Lao Karun Long rarely does. There's characters sacrificing themselves uh, for him. There's an abbot that ends up getting murdered and sacrificed. And this is just very, very unexpected if you're expecting a Lao Karun Long film. Perhaps it's expected from a Chong Chur film just because we expect that, uh, you know, he's just going to kill everybody uh, by the end of it. Maybe one or two characters will survive. Um, so, yeah, let's see. Uh, um, Philip Ko uh, makes an appearance in the monastery, too. We also have Yuan Tak. Yuan Tak, one of the Seven Little Fortunes, who makes a brief little stunt appearance, uh, corralling a horse, which is very memorable there, too. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about one of the central themes. And I think one of the things uh, I, I do think that can get a little overshadowed with the dubbing, perhaps, uh, or or just kind of the martial arts choreography itself is the narrative and, of the film. And I think this film does have things to say. And I think there are some things in here that feel a little bit more Lao Kar Lung than you would think, even though it is in many ways a very atypical film for him. Uh, so we have Gordon Liu going to the monastery. I don't believe it's actually a Shaolin monastery. I've heard a lot of people say that, and I understand reflexively well why people would, but I think this is just a Buddhist monastery. Again, we're talking China that's 800 years before most of Lao Kar Long's other films, so the uh, political uh, context is very, very different here. Nonetheless, uh, it doesn't matter too much, um, but he goes to this monastery, and he's basically filled with a lot of rage, um, and so it's different than him coming to the monastery in the 36th chamber of Shaolin, where he doesn't know martial arts um, and also uh, also needs to take revenge. In fact, his character is very different here. He's a master fighter already, um, but he's just filled with so much rage. Um, he basically comes from this very, very patriotic family, obviously an incredible military background uh, with him. And so he, uh, in the monastery, the monks are basically trying to kick him out from the get-go. Uh, but his will uh, is so strong that he ends up basically forcing his way into staying. And you say, okay, did he learn anything in the monastery? And I think the answer is definitely yes. The growth is very different than it looks like in the 36th chamber of Shaolin. 
Um, and in some ways, it's very tragic because it feels like he's finally getting into that sort of monk mentality by the end of it, calming himself. You can see he's learning. Um, for instance, we're introduced to these great wolf uh, wolf dummies that we have that they're practicing on because the um, uh, the monastery is occasionally racked with uh, or invaded by wolves. So they need to be able to uh, basically defang the wolves. They're not trying to kill. And this is kind of the central um, narrative tenet uh, to the film of the idea of like, uh, like should we defang these wolves like the uh, Shaolin monks are doing? Or should we kill them? Uh, which is what Gordon Liu's instincts are. He's like, oh, you guys are doing it wrong. And he basically friggin' massacres one of those uh, wolves, which is a great scene too. Um, so the whole time in the monastery, there's this contrast where Gordon Liu is like struggling with rage and he's just uh, really, really mad uh, from the point where he's like, make me a monk. He demands it. He knocks some monks off. Uh, and he, he's just a super overpowering force. There are certain um, kind of background tablets that we see that will say tranquility. Meanwhile, he's creating just like this huge ruckus. And so the whole po point is uh, for him to kind of calm himself and to become, uh, to grow spiritually and kind of achieve that tranquility that you'll see throughout the, uh, the monastery. Um, and then the, the wolf uh, part is about being designed to kill versus sort of neutralize. Um, and I do think he uh, he kind of gets to a better place by the end. And I think this is a, a, an area where Chang Zhe would never bring the film. I think uh, revenge at all costs is the message that we get from Chang Zhe films. Um, like, uh, so even if that ends up resulting in your death, it often is still worth it. Kind of that heroic uh, hero's death. And I, I, um, and I don't think Lao Kar Long believes that in the same way that uh, Zhang Zhe does. The Fusheng narrative is interesting because it is left um, to kind of hang there because of very understandable reasons. Um, I, my guess is, again, that he would have been rehabilitated and they would have sent him back out there. Nonetheless, because this is a Lao Kar Long film and he's being given a lot of different resources, uh, the Shaw bench and the bench in Eight Diagram Pole Fighter is deep. So we can pull Kara Hui off the bench and she basically kind of takes his spot uh, in in the story. And I think it works pretty well. You know, it's a little clunky because who can really plan for that? Um, but I do think that it also gives an emotional weight. I've heard certain people say that uh, the film feels uh, like you can sort of tell emotionally the moment where Fusheng has died in real life because you can see Kara Hui and Gordon Liu, who are basically his contemporaries, just being overwhelmed with different emotions and things, things like that. And I, 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 and I definitely buy into that. I think the acting in this is definitely pretty, uh, you know, decently above average for kind of the Shaw Brothers fair at this time. and definitely does feel, um, you know, does definitely have this sort of somber, elegiac mood to it. Uh, so yeah, let's see. Uh, and of course, we got to shout out Philip Coe, who just a year before this was in another great Shaw Brothers film, Boxer's Omen. Very different Shaw Brothers film, I might add, uh, for you that uh, are really into uh, horror films. Uh, I think that's probably the best uh, Shaw Brothers horror film uh, directed by the great uh, Kui Chi Hung. Okay, so let's get into a little bit of the fight. So again, we're in different territory than is normal, but Lau Kar Lung has always... Uh, he doesn't like to repeat himself as much as other directors. So he likes to have a lot of um, dynamic, like most of the time when he's doing a film, his fights are very different. And you can see a clear evolution in his work 
from something like executioners from Shaolin, where there are minor tweaks in the fight as we go along, but we are largely fighting the same person. Um, versus something like Dirty Hood, where you can very much tell that he's like, okay, we're gonna make every fight stand out. Everything's gonna be distinctive, and I feel like from kind of that point onwards, uh, he likes to just have a ton of different variation in his fights, and he likes to really challenge himself. So you know what? We're not going to do my home. Uh, this is not a home match, so we're not going to do my Hungar style. But I can show you these other things, and so uh, this whole film um, is is styles that you you don't usually see Lau Kar Long do. Of course, we've seen him with poles and other films and things like that. But this film is basically dominated by these big stick poles, or that that uh, people are using to fight. Um, okay, so. Uh, one fight before just the incredible finale, which I think might be my favorite Lao Kar Long scene, um, is the monastery, where we get to see, uh, and this is kind of what I'm talking about, of the growth of Gordon Liu's character. Uh, in first, uh, kind of right before he's about to leave, so he finds out that Kara Hui is being held captive, um, and so he needs to come down, descend the mountain, and uh, face off against uh, his enemies, uh, so Pan Mei, as well as the rest of the uh, Liao uh, invaders and so he, uh, he bef just before this we see him uh, using a technique to not destroy a wolf but defang it and so Philip Ko who's playing one of the abbots uh, compliments him and they end up uh, when he says he's going to go down the mountain Philip Ko's like okay you're going to fight me first and Gordon Liu does end up fighting him but in the meanwhile he kind of draws the yin yang symbol with uh, the pole too and it, that shows kind of this level of finesse. Previously, his form was all about killing. Killing, killing, killing at all costs. You'll hear that throughout the film. Sha, sha, kill, kill. Um, and uh, this technique and, and the way he's doing it, I think, uh, shows a development that's not just about um, totally cutting out the legs and, and murdering your opponent. It's more about... Um, it, it, there, there's more to it. Um, there's a certain... Uh, I keep using the word finesse, but that's really what it is um, uh, to the different style that he's using. So, um, yeah. Uh, and from there, we go to, in my opinion, my probably my personal favorite of the uh, Shaw Brother set pieces, uh, which is the end scene where we descend down the mountain. Uh, so, Gordon Liu comes down the mountain. And this is just an example, again, of the intricacies that Lao Kar Long is doing in these fights here. And again, he's so used to the Shaw Brothers toolkit. He's been designing fights for them basically since the uh, the mid to late 60s. And so he knows uh, he's being afforded lots of resources because his films have all been more or less successful. And so he he this is very much kind of um, familiar ground for him. So he creates these incredibly intricate fights, and this is... Uh, I think I think my favorite of of uh, of any of the ones he's done, and definitely an all timer in my view, and probably why it should have won over Project Day. But we'll have that conversation an another day. Um, so his fights are always so legible. Uh, I think he also is never guilty of undercranking to uh, to too much. At least at least I certainly almost never notice it in a lot of cargo long film. And you can tell he's responding to the different um, kind of action choreography coming out into Hong Kong at the time. It's in dialogue with them because he's like, no, we're not going to undercrank, but we're, we're going to move really freaking fast uh, during these fights. And it shows. And he has, he's pulling out all the different tricks. There's this trick where, and I think you can really see this in the fight where Lao Kar Long 
fights himself, um, where we have baby powder, things like that, that really, really show the impact of the fights. Another trick that you'll see is the wire poles. That's not where we have people flying through the air with wires, but where someone gets hit with the stick, and then we got a bunch of guys pulling them back with a wire um, as they go. And it, it creates an incredible effect, and it just looks really, really brutal. A lot of people will complain about the Shaw Brothers sound effects. I'm sorry, they're wrong. I love it. It, it works great, in my opinion. I, it, I think it just takes getting used to. Um, but yeah, there's a legibility to his fights, and there's a speed to them, and that is all on display here. This is just a master at work. So the first part of the fight, we start outside again we're gonna vary these different layers um and things like that there are like this like peeling an onion there are different layers to this fight we start and he gordon Liu, he basically shows up uh as a monk with a bunch of bamboo they're like oh what are you doing and he gets to mow down people almost using this uh the bamboo like a a machine gun or a gatling gun and he kills a bunch of people like uh just immediately outside um so that's the first element of the fight, which is awesome. And then he walks into the tavern, and this is like very familiar Shaw ground. This is like one of their signature sets. This is like basically the bar room, uh, the, the tavern in a spaghetti western. This is the inn uh, from all of their different inn films, from Black Tavern or, or from uh, Come Drink With Me. This is where shit is going to go down. But it's laid out differently. Instead, we have a pyramid of coffins. Um, and no one's there, uh, or no one is visible. And so finally, um, we have uh, Johnny Wang show up at the top, uh, playing one of three villains. This is not the biggest Johnny Wang role, but that's fine. Uh, it's nice to have him uh, present. He's always a very reliable uh, villain. Uh, he's one of those guys where you show up, but you don't need to explain him very much. You're just going to assume this guy is bad, uh, and he's going to uh, show some great fighting uh, prowess. And so in these coffins he's like oh where's eighth sister oh she's in one of those coffins so he knows he's got to get her and from this moment on we have people popping out of coffins um we have gordon Liu trying to fight to the top he thinks he's finally got to Hui, but out pops another bad guy and basically knocks him to the ground and it hits hard it, you feel the impact of the different blows gordon Liu's fighting his ass off um and and finally he gets uh Hui out of there but even there it looks painful. He has to throw her onto the ground, where which it looks like it hurts. Um, the, the bad guys then raise her way up in the air with their different uh, weapon contraptions, and he jumps on her and pushes her all to the ground. It's just an incredibly physical and painful uh, thing to see, um, and it's it's awesome. This whole fight is, is just really, really incredible, um, and it basically gets to the point where they have Gordon Liu in the splits and basically defeated and they're going in for the killing stab and then uh the monks appear uh the cavalry arrives um and they come in pushing one of those wolf statues and they're like oh uh abbot you're breaking your vows and they're like no i'm not i'm i'm just chasing the wolves away uh, which is just absolute killer line uh for me that i even though i watched this film on my own it it it's a it's, it's just fantastic it's got me pumping my fist uh i love it um, and so all of these little twists and turns, even though I've seen this fight probably 15, 20 times, it just has me uh, super, uh, super amped up. It's just an awesome fight. And not only that, uh, so now we get to go into kind of this Laokar Long group fight, which he excels at. Uh, surprise, surprise. Um, and again, it's with these coffins as a backdrop, so we can use those different things to jump on. Um, 
we have the wolf that's engaging in the fight too. This also allows us to have the wonderful Philip Coe uh, engage in fighting too. He's a great martial artist uh, and, and a good performer too. And uh, then finally, the last thing, kind of the last little intricacy that Lao Kar Long introduced here is we have them um, attacking the teeth uh, and defanging the Mongolian, uh, or not the Mongolian, that would be incorrect, the Lao Dynasty invaders there. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful scene um, that really you feel the stakes and things like that that you don't always necessarily feel in other Lao Kar Long films. There's, um, yeah, it's just a, a heavier watch to, to, um, to, to get through. So, okay, so hopefully I have done this film justice. Um, I think this film, in my opinion, there's a lot of people that think this uh, is the best Shaw Brothers film or the best Lao Kar Long film. I do happen to agree. I don't want to overhype this film at all. I don't think this is necessarily the ideal starting place for Shaw Brothers or Lao Kar Long. I think this film is very much kind of the, the elegy uh, for the studio, and I think it, it really is the last great film that they produced. Um, uh, that is, so if it were me, I'd probably recommend something very standard like 36 Chamber of Shaolin uh, to start at. But uh, for me, at least, uh, with the fights and things like that and uh, the way that this film finishes, uh, this is my uh, personal favorite. So, uh, yeah, let me know what you think of this episode. Let me know what your favorite Lao Kar Long film is. So you can email me at zafilmtofilm at gmail.com or tweet at us at zafilmtofilm. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. So we're going to just be wrapping up the Lao Kar Long series, uh, talking about um, just all the different stuff we've talked about, as well as recommending a few films as well that uh, didn't quite uh, fit into it, um, ranking his filmography too. So hopefully everyone will tune in for the final episode. Um, so uh, I will see you guys next time.